You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. Ann and I uh, really like this little bakery that's not far from our house. Uh, This little place, she found it, and uh, I love bakeries. I love any kind of bakery, Uh, but this is the Bluegrass Baking Company, and they're just a little hole in the wall over off of Clay's Mill Road, not far from where we live. It's a European-style bakery that has everything that a bakery has. It's amazing what they can produce in that little, that little space. And the reason that we like it is because of the, the bread that they sell there. I mean, it's just, they have a bread for every person. If you like healthy bread, if you like unhealthy bread, they will satisfy you. I mean, they have all of it. Bread is, uh, oh, and the other thing about them that's really cool, and this is a staple, if, you, if you're a good if you're a good bakery, you always have samples, right? And I go in there and they have like, they'll have like 20 samples. And I'm going, and I feel like it's my responsibility to sample all of them. I mean, I don't even, I can go, there's kind of, you know, it's sample day at the bakery. I can, I can fill up there. But we go there because we love their bread. We really don't buy much of anything else. Occasionally a scone or a Danish or something, but it's about the bread there. It's about the bread. In our text today, Jesus talks about bread. And before you immediately judge this message and say, oh, this is going to be boring, he's just going to talk about bread, give him an opportunity to speak the truth of his word into your heart and into your mind. Don't dismiss it just because he's talking about something as common as bread. He uses this talk as what we used to call in children's ministry an object lesson, where you take a simple object, an everyday object, that his listeners would know and recognize and identify with, and he uses that as a springboard to talk about something that is so vitally important to the very core of a believer. So if you want to follow along in the text, we're going to be using John the 6th chapter. We're going to start with verse 30. You can open your Bibles or turn in your... uh, your phones or tablets to that spot. Now I'm going to give you a bit of background. Chapter 6, as we've been talking in over the last several uh, weeks, chapter 6 begins with the account of Jesus miraculously feeding 5,000 men plus women and children. It's a story that some people in here are probably well familiar with. There's this huge crowd that gathers to listen to Jesus, and they're enthralled by his words, they're mesmerized by his teaching, and they stay well beyond mealtime. And Jesus then uses a young boy's picnic lunch, just a few bread rolls and a couple of fish, and he multiplies it in order to feed a whole crowd of people. Obviously, they find this very impressive, this massive crowd, and they want to see more, and they want to see more, and they want to see more. The experience of free food may well have been what some of them were there to see. After they were fed, they thought, let's see more of that. Let's get more of that. But we cannot overlook a comment that we read in verse 14. When someone says, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Surely this is the prophet who's come into the world. Could this be the Messiah? 
they were thinking. The one the prophets have talked about, the one we've been waiting for. So Jesus breaks up the crowd. He sends his disciples off across the Sea of Galilee. He goes up on the hill to pray with his father. And then sometime during the night, he walks across the water and gets in the boat with the disciples. And then they're on their way to Capernaum. And the crowd gets kind of thrown for a loop. How did Jesus get away from us? We, we were holding watch. We were, we were wanting to follow him. So they, they track him down at Capernaum. And that's kind of where our story begins today in verse 30. It's right on the heels of this incredible miracle of feeding the 5,000 as well as the disciples' experience of Jesus walking on the water and calming the Sea of Galilee. We read this in verse 30 and 31. So they ask him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. See, the Jews of that time, there was a very strong belief that when the Messiah came, whom they were eagerly awaiting for, when he finally appeared, one of the signs that would prove that it was him, that he was the Messiah, would be that he would produce manna or bread from heaven. The rabbis taught that the Messiah, when he came, he would duplicate the miracle of manna. Now some of you may be scratching your head, what's manna? If you're familiar with the story of how God's people in the Old Testament got manna, you'll remember that Moses, who was then leading the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt into their new homeland, the promised land, seemed to provide this strange substance, strange kind of food, which the people called manna. Which if you translated manna in the Hebrew, it means, I don't know. Because it would show up every morning, and there's no explanation for it. But you could eat it. So they, def- they just called it, I don't know. Did you get our, I don't know? Yes, I got it. Good. They didn't know. But the new Messiah was believed would have many of Moses' qualities and characteristics. So it was natural to assume that the providing food from nowhere would be one of those miracles. If Jesus was truly sent by God, as he claims numerous times in John chapter 6 alone, then let him prove it by causing manna to fall from heaven. They wanted to see and believe, as John records. Here's a key point, though. Faith that is based on signs alone and not on the truth of the Word of God can lead a person astray. Because, as Paul tells us, even Satan is able to perform counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders. So when the people do catch up with Jesus, this discussion begins. One of the first things that they ask him for is another miraculous sign. This miraculous sign would be one of those things that would authenticate him as the Messiah. Jesus would be the Messiah. And they wanted to be able to say, okay, we saw that one sign, but, but we want to see another. Or there were other people who had heard about the feeding of the 5,000, and they show up, and they want to see a sign as well. 
Of course, they've just had this killer sign. And the disciples also have had a number of signs on the Sea of Galilee. But they wanted to see something even more significant. You see, Moses provided food for an entire nation for 40 years. If Jesus is really the Messiah, then he'll have at least have to equal what Moses did, surely. And to back up their demand, they quote from the Old Testament. They say, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now, that's not a single quotation. Some scholars have determined, far smarter than me, that this probably comes from three different verses in the Old Testament. It's not one specific quotation. It's the combination of three different verses. So Jesus takes the opportunity to explain this quote to them. They give him the quote, but he turns around and says, this is what this means. Keep in mind, Jesus is a rabbi. He's a teacher of the day. And it wouldn't have been unusual for him to sit down right at that moment, at a teachable moment, and preach a sermon. And that's what he does. What follows is really a a lesson or a sermon. It's complete with an introduction and three specific points. And Jesus is going to explain this simple phrase they've quoted from the Old Testament. So we read in verses 32 and 33 as we continue. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from, the, from heaven and gives life to the world. As a way of introduction, these two verses, Jesus begins first by correcting what's wrong in their ideas. They had the wrong idea when they gave this quote from the Old Testament. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. He starts by telling them what it doesn't mean. He says, it wasn't Moses who provided the manna for you. It was God. Let's make sure we get that straight. All of their food and all of the food that you and I eat, for that matter, comes from God. So there's nothing special about Moses' powers as far as that was concerned. Then secondly, Jesus makes the point. He explains that God gives his people, and I quote, the true bread from heaven, unquote. The manna was a means of meeting their physical needs, but there is a bread that is able to do far more than that. Bread that is actually heavenly, he says. Jesus will go on to expand on this point later in his message, but he's saying that the bread in the desert, the manna, it was really just a type of bread or an example of a bread that actually was pointing to the true bread that would come later on. And then the third thing that he says, this bread gives life, not only to God's people now, but it gives, and he says, life to the world. This bread can give life to everybody. The power of the true bread goes from beyond anything you and I can expect of ordinary bread. And even far beyond what the people came to expect of manna that they collected in the desert. This bread that Jesus is talking about is life-changing. It doesn't just sustain life. It can alter 
life. So having begun in this way, kind of setting the table, making everything kind of appropriate now, Jesus goes on to teach this message in which he breaks down this simple quote. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. They've quoted it to him, but he's going to actually explain it to them. The first point that Jesus makes is this. Jesus is bread from heaven like manna, only better. He's like bread from heaven, only... He's like manna, only better. A good talk always starts with an attention-grabbing line... And some of you may not think this is all that this uh, spectacular, but when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he uses the, those two words, I am, which is the, the name of God. And there are a number of those I am statements throughout Scripture, specifically in John's Gospel. So he gets their attention when he uses that phrase, that name. And then he also says that he's the bread, which is a little bit of a conundrum, or it causes them to ponder it, and they wrestle with this idea. He's not only the giver of this bread, but he is the bread. This is weird. The true bread that's come down from heaven is Jesus himself. And as he's just pointed out, this bread gives life to not just you people, but to the entire world. Jesus' listeners, like most humans, and many of us, are focused on just the physical world as they hear him talk. Their concept of what this meant was limited. For them, as for many of us, heaven was just the sky. And the manna that the Israelites received literally fell from the sky. But Jesus is going way beyond this idea. He's come from God, the Father. God has sent him into the world to be a means of life for all men and all women. And that life is also something way beyond simply day-to-day survival, like manna. It's like manna, but it's better. Verse 35 says this, Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty key point here is this. The life that Jesus promises is a life of deep fulfillment and lasting satisfaction. Deep fulfillment and lasting satisfaction. He's been sent from heaven to open up this life. It is, as verse 40 makes clear, it's an eternal life. A life that stretches way beyond the here and now. Look what he says in verses 37 and following. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Jesus explained that salvation involves both divine sovereignty and human responsibility. 
The Father gives men and women to the Son, but these men and women must come to Him, which means they believe on Him. They put their faith in Him. We have a choice in this. He doesn't force us to believe in Him. When we believe on Him, though, we put our faith and our confidence in Jesus. We acknowledge that He is the Son of God, the Messiah, and that He can forgive our sins. But we're never forced to accept that. See, that's the amazing thing about this, is that your decision is pivotal in whether or not you're part of the family of God or not. It's not about being good or being perfect. It's about choosing to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And verse 40 says he gives eternal life. Think about that. Those who ate the bread, the manna, they lived sustained by the manna, but eventually they died. He says he gives eternal life and those who have eaten of this bread, which means those who have responded to Jesus, they will be raised up on the last day. That point right there gave the Jews that were gathered there, and they believed that this was taking place in the synagogue. They started to chew on this bread, if you will. I humor myself on occasions. And they begin to mumble amongst themselves that this is, it, this is just the carpenter's son who just lives up the road, right? I mean, what right did this guy have to say such provocative things? Usually today, in our culture, we're much more polite when we want to complain about something that gets said in a sermon, aren't we? I mean, you at least reserve the right to complain when you get in your car or you meet with your friends in the parking lot, and I appreciate that. I say that's the way we are usually. A number of years ago, I preached a sermon, and afterwards, I was greeting people down front, and uh, it wasn't here, okay? I just want you to know that. And uh, there was a line of people who were there to talk to me about different things, and there was a guy, and he was waiting very patiently in the line, and uh, when it came his time to talk to me, he let me have it with both barrels. I mean, lit me up like a Roman candle. He was mad. I mean, you didn't know it while he was waiting in line. But the minute he started talking, you knew he was mad. And it was about my message. He thought I was totally wrong. He was the only person in the whole church who felt that way. Except I found out that he wasn't the maddest. His wife was even more mad. She was so mad, she had to go to the car. And I imagine the car was just smoking, right? The windows were steaming up. But he let me know everything that was wrong with my message that day. Fortunately, he was the only one left in the building that day who felt that way. I'm not sure what was going on in his life, but he was definitely mad, and he did not reserve the right to share it with his small group later. He wanted me to know Usually we tend to wait until the service is over and then we get into our little huddles to complain about things, whatever the preacher said or the way that he said it. The Jews didn't hold back their criticism though. So Jesus is prompted to make his second point. And this is what he says. Jesus is the bread to eat. He said, I'm the bread 
to eat. Here's the question. What's the point of having bread if you can't eat it? Have you ever seen that centerpiece that's a loaf of bread that's shellacked? <laughs> it's a waste of some good carbohydrates right there, I think. You can't eat it. What's the point? Some people don't eat bread. Some people don't eat bread because they can't. There are people who are part of this fellowship who suffer from celiac disease. Others have what are called gluten allergies or some related type allergies, which cause them not to be able to eat bread, or at least most breads. Others can't eat bread, or should we say they won't eat bread, because it's made of carbohydrates, and carbs are bad. They're evil, and so we reject carbs. I love carbs. Carbs are my friend. This part of my body is all carb-related. There's no carbs up here, no carbs down here, a little carb back here, but a lot of carbs right in here. Why does Jesus use this picture of himself? Why refer to himself as a common everyday food item? It's hardly awe-inspiring if you think about it. Here's why. Bread was a mainstay of life for many people. They depended on it for survival. Jesus is making the point that he is the true bread, the real means of life, the real means of survival. That the Father has sent him down from heaven to be received by all men and women. Just an ordinary daily bread has to be eaten if it's to be of any use. So Jesus has to be received if he is to be of any use for us for eternal life. The Bible makes it clear. There is only one kind of bread that will provide this life. That is Jesus. He's the true bread. He's the bread of life. Peter, who would have been with Jesus when he's giving this teaching, would say this later to the magistrates in Jerusalem. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Peter was crystal clear that Jesus is the only way to eternal life. You may think there are other paths that will lead there, but if we understand Scripture to teach what it says, if we understand the truth that it tells us, Jesus is the only way. He is the bread of life. Jesus further explains how an unbeliever can come to God, and it's through faith in the Word. Look what verse 45 says. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from Him comes to me. The Father draws the unbeliever by His Holy Word. Jesus quoted Isaiah, or some think He was quoting Jeremiah to prove His point here. They will all be taught by God. Now what does that mean? It is through the teaching of the Word of God that God draws people to the Savior. The unbeliever hears the word, he learns what it means, and he comes as the Father draws him. It's by the word that we see God and we receive the faith to come to Christ and trust him. Paul said in Romans 10, 17, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. So our faith, our faith in the bread of life, Jesus, 
will grow as we read and study and understand the Word of God. That's why we, that's why we put so much emphasis on messages that are biblically based, discipleship groups that are biblically based, larger middle-sized groups, classes, other Wednesday night groups that are biblically based. Because we know on our own, we don't have anything to say. But if we tap into what God has to say, there's a wealth of knowledge and information that will draw all men to him. Basically, what we're talking about here is that we have to believe what Jesus had to say about himself and his Father. We have to accept it as being true. That's faith. As he concludes this point, Jesus begins to talk about something very controversial. In fact, this is the part of the message that caused me to have fear and trembling in teaching this topic today. He starts to talk about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Now, don't you think that that sent a ripple through the crowd? It says the listeners, they probably started mumbling again. Now, think about it. He's starting to sound a bit barbaric. It sounded like a script from a horror movie here. And it sounded that way to people down through the ages. But Jesus goes on in his third point to be about as offensive as he's been to the Orthodox Jews in the synagogue. He says, Jesus is bread to eat. He's bread to eat. He says in verse 53 and following, Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Not only does Jesus talk about eating his flesh, but he mentions drinking his blood. There would probably have been a riot in the synagogue about this point. You see, the law of Moses specifically forbid eating meat that had blood in it. You were to drain all the blood out of the meat because blood was a symbol of life. And you weren't to eat the life of another creature. The law was very specific about that, let alone drinking that blood. And to drink human blood is beyond belief. So what was Jesus talking about? Well, the key, I think, is found in verse 56. He says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. He's not literally talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. He's talking about something more than just head knowledge. You see, if all we do is assimilate a bunch of facts about Jesus and the agreement of the ideas about Jesus, that's really just kind of head knowledge. But what Jesus is saying here is he's he's saying that we need to fill our minds and our bodies, our whole beings with him. We're to be part of him and him be part of us. It means a total commitment in which every part of our life is lived for him. And Jesus is involved in all that we do. 
That's what he's meaning when he says, consume me. Eat my body and drink my blood. Consume me. Let me be a part of everything you do. It'll probably not escape some of you that the words and the ideas that Jesus uses here are some of the very words that we use when we talk about communion or the Lord's Supper. Communion is a time in this worship service that we do every week when we remember the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. Jesus was that ultimate sacrifice. You see, the bread that we partake represents his body. It's just a symbol of his body. And the cup of juice, it represents his blood. It's not really his blood. It's not really his body. We're not eating his flesh and his drinking his blood. Those are just emblems that represent. And they're used to help us remember the moment when he was our sacrifice. Paul said in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, For whatever you eat, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's our expression of what we believe about Jesus. His death was the sacrifice that washes away our sins. And we are forever grateful for that. And so that's why we take that little moment, that little object lesson in the middle of every service just to remember him. You see, as the true bread of life, Jesus is inviting us to become so committed to him, so full of him, that it's just like eating bread. As the bread is eaten, it's digested, it becomes part of our body, and all the vitamins and all the useful nutrients find their way into every part of our person. Jesus, as we commit ourselves to him, as we develop our relationship with him, as we learn from him, he wants to be in every part of our lives, to be having an effect on all that we say, all that we do, and all that we think. So the truth is, every one of us has a choice. What are we going to do with the bread of life? Are we going to consume it? Are we going to, are we going to make it a part of every facet of our lives? Or are we going to reject it? Are we going to take just a little bit of it when we feel like we want some of it? Or are we, going to just, are we just going to devour it? You see, Jesus wants to be the bread of life for every single one of you. But that demands a response from you, a commitment from you. And I wonder this morning how you're going to manage that. Will you grudgingly make a few half-hearted attempts only to give up when the going gets tough? You're not all in on this. You're just taking, you're just taking a little piece of the bread of life and thinking that's going to be enough. And the truth is it's not. It's Really, it's all or, or nothing. You can't, you can't just have a little tiny piece because it's not going to matter. And you get out there in life and everything's going to hit you and eventually you know, you're on the rocks. Maybe you'll walk out of here this morning and you'll never really come to grips with what Jesus has for you. You'll scratch your head about that whole message about the bread of life and eating the bread and it, it just won't resonate with you. It won't sink in. Here's my prayer. 
My prayer is that you will come to the point where you say, I know that the journey ahead might be tough. But Jesus is my only hope. And I'm going to believe in him, whatever it takes. I'm going to receive him. And I'm going to commit myself to him. Maybe some of you, it's the time where you say, I need to recommit myself to him. Because I've not been feasting on the bread of life. I've been feasting on the things of this world. Whatever the case is, don't leave the bread of life and go off into this world, but take the bread and eat it completely. Make him part of every facet of your life. Because there's a time coming when he will, he will see that those that the Lord has given him, he will not lose. And he will raise them up on the last day for all eternity. Let's pray. Oh God, I pray today that you would move in our hearts. Lord, I know that you love us with a powerful, powerful love. A love that we can't comprehend. A love that goes far beyond our wildest of imaginations. No one's ever loved us like you have. And this teaching, this teaching about the bread of life, it's kind of a hard talk. Jesus talks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, and some people get confused and they get repulsed by it. The truth is he's just trying to tell us to make him part of every facet of our lives. Lord, help us to do that today. I pray especially for those who've never taken that step to make Jesus Lord. Lord, will you give them the courage today to take that step, to receive you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're going to sing, and as we do, if you've never taken that step, making Jesus the Lord of your life, I want to invite you to meet me down front. I'd love to talk to you about that. Let's stand together and let's worship him.